Hey everyone, welcome to Cornerstone Fellowship Church Online. I'm so glad that you're here. My name is Matt, and I'm really missing my people, my Cornerstone Danville people. But whether you're from Cornerstone Danville or any one of our campuses, I'm so glad that we get to do church together here online. We're in week two of our series, Anchored, and we're going to be hearing from one of our Brentwood campus pastors, Clint, and he's going to be talking to us about what to do with trials in our life. I'm so excited to hear his message because I think it fits so well with our current situation. You know, each week at Cornerstone, we pray that God would use this service to meet you right where you're at. And I firmly believe that God has something for you. So get ready. But before we hear from Clint, I want you to take a moment and think about someone that you know, maybe a friend or a family member that's in a trial, that's in a difficult situation. Maybe they're tired and they're exhausted or they're just feeling stuck. I want to encourage you to text them or call them and tell them to join you for the service online. I think it'll really encourage them. But first, let's start with some worship music. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to Cornerstone.
weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. Oh, my God will never fail. I'm gonna see a victory.
oh my gosh, worship was so good. I love that so much. Hi guys, my name is Chelsea. Hey everyone, my name is Spencer and we're on our kids team. Um, thank you guys so much for joining us at Cornerstone Fellowship Church Online. It's really cool that we get to, to be church in your guys' living rooms. And you know, normally we're at five different campuses across the East Bay, but now there's hundreds or even thousands of you guys watching in your living rooms, not only across the East Bay, but across the nation and even other countries in the world. Oh, I love that so much. That's so cool. So the reason why we're here in your screens talking to you today is because we want to talk to you about Kids, Kids Camp, Camp Virtual Experience. Experience. And so what Kids Camp is, it's a summer camp that we've put on for kids um, through the month of July. And it's been a really great time. Take a look. Always for us, and even when it's hard for me to see, to see, I will trust in you, I will believe, believe, and even when it's hard for me to see, to see, I will trust in you, I will believe, and keep on looking, looking, looking to you, for where I'm going, knowing you go there too, I'll keep on looking, looking, looking to you. My eyes on you. You Wow, I have been loving Kids Camp. We just finished our week two, and it's been so fun to see our kids connecting with each other, our leaders are connecting with our kids. And you know, we as a kids ministry have just had to change and adapt what we're doing, but it's still so amazing to hear these stories, to share the hope and love of Jesus to our community. You know, one of our favorite stories has come from the city of Danville, from our Danville campus. Um, there's been a family that's moved in to Danville during these kind of a crazier times right now. And they've connected with Cornerstone, they signed up their kids, and they've really connected to Cornerstone because of Kids Camp. Not only that, they've actually invited friends and family who didn't know Jesus, and they've actually joined Cornerstone because of that. Isn't oh, that awesome? I love that. So that's so cool. I love that. Another cool thing that we're hearing is from the different campuses, some student small group leaders have been leading small groups for kids. So we're bridging students to kids and kids to families, and it's been so amazing to see the message of hope that that shares. And that wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for your generosity. And so we say thank you. Thank you for giving that we could put on a camp for, for almost 500 kids. It's been amazing. And so we love you so much for that. And maybe you've been praying about what it means to give or you're still thinking about what that looks like for your budget or things like that. We have so many different ways that you can give. And if you wanna talk about what that looks like, put it in the comments or talk to your campus pastor. We wanna walk through that with you. So we've been talking about hope with Kids Camp. Now we're also gonna talk about hope with the message that Clint Rutledge, our Brentwood campus pastor, is gonna share with us today. We can't wait to hear it. Hey Cornerstone. Thanks for joining us today as we begin week two of our July series called Anchored, where we're examining what the Bible has to say about the word hope. Uh, my name is Clint, and I'm the campus pastor at our Brentwood location. In the studio with me, I have my wife and co-pastor Diane. Uh, you can't see her, but she's waving to everybody. Oh uh, man, we miss you guys so much. Uh, Diane and I and our boys, we moved to Brentwood earlier this year thinking that we were going to be doing a lot of leading 
<laughs> in this church. But instead, like many of you guys, we've been doing a lot of listening and learning. And I got to be honest, it hasn't been easy. It's been incredibly tough. I don't know about you guys, but I, I feel like I've aged like 30 years in the past six months. In fact, there's this iPhone app that I found that kind of generates a picture of what you're going to look like at the end of 2020. And here's me. Yeah, my hair looks exactly the same, but uh, I still got a little bit of hair right here. <laughs> I think I aged pretty well, though. No, but seriously, I feel exhausted. I feel wiped out. I'm, I'm tired of the roller coaster of emotions of this year. We just found out the other day that our kids are going to start online school, 100% distance learning in the fall. And it's like, oh, the hits, they just keep coming. We weren't ready for that. I heard someone say that uh, the reason that so many of us are exhausted during this season is because we, we began this year like we were running a sprint. You know, like COVID-19 flashed onto the scene. We're like, is this really happening? And we all immediately rallied together. And we're like, okay, we can take this. We can handle it. Just make it to Easter and everything will be good again. But then we got to Easter and we realized that was just mile one. And we still have 25 more miles to go. We realized that this isn't a sprint. This is actually a marathon. But then we started to see the finish line of the marathon and we're like, is that a person standing there ready to hand us a bicycle? And then we, we took the bicycle and he's like, don't, don't forget about the two and a half mile swim after. And just like that, we realized this isn't even a marathon. This is a full on Ironman triathlon that we're in. And see, that's why so many of us are exhausted because we didn't pre prepare for a triathlon. We thought this was going to be a sprint. We thought this would all be over and we could all go back to normal. And now we're not even sure what normal is anymore. And so we're, we're frustrated, we're tired, we're burnt out, we're overwhelmed. Maybe some of us are sad or depressed. It feels like at this point we're just kind of limping along. Will this ever end? Will the dark clouds ever go away? Will the sun ever shine again? Will the money ever be replenished in the accounts? Will our purpose and passion ever be restored? Will our friendships ever thrive again? Will our kids ever get out of the house again? Maybe some of you guys just want to quit today. You just want to give in, throw in the towel, because this is just too hard. You know, the New Testament writer James, he says in chapter 1 of his letter to the church, that's in these difficult seasons that we can become like the waves of the sea, blown and tossed around by the wind. This picture seems like a good illustration for 2020. Just the wild, roaring seawaters tossing us all over the place. Now, I know there's probably uh, some people listening right now thinking, Clint, that's actually not me. I'm kind of loving 2020. You know, I'm an introvert. I love being locked inside my home reading books all day. Well, look, that's awesome, and we're happy for you. But my guess is there's even one part of your life that feels chaotic. At least one thing that you're going through that's difficult, even if it's just looking around at the friends and family who are hurting next to you. See, the bottom line is this. We're all in this season together. We're all in the middle, middle of this difficult storm together. So that's what I want to talk about today. What do we do? How can we as Christ followers keep faith and hope in the middle of difficult seasons? If you have a Bible nearby, open up to James chapter 1. Some of you guys... Uh, may already know a little bit about James. He was the leader of the first century Jerusalem church, and he was actually the brother, the younger brother of uh, someone you might have heard of named Jesus. 
which is a miracle if you think about it. I mean, for those of you that have brothers, what would it take for you to be convinced that your brother was the Son of God and the Messiah? Like, think of all the times that James annoyed Jesus, but Jesus never lost his cool. He never pushed him, he never hit him, he never called him names. He always responded patiently and appropriately. Like, James could never tell on his brother Jesus, because Mary and Joseph would just roll their eyes and know that it wasn't Jesus' fault. I imagine James later in his life working all this out with like a therapist or a counselor. I mean, talk about baggage. It's pretty wild that James becomes this fierce Christian, right? And he doesn't just believe his brother to be God. He literally gives up his life to worship him. He serves him faithfully as the leader of the church in Jerusalem that's constantly under persecution and attack and harassment at the hands of the Roman and Jewish authorities. So much so that James is actually eventually martyred for his faith in his brother Jesus. Church history tells us that James is taken to the top of the temple and he's asked to renounce his faith in Jesus, but James doesn't. He stands strong. So they take him and they throw him off of the temple, but he doesn't die. So they go down and they stone him and they hit him over the head with a club until he does. And he goes through all of this in the name of his brother Jesus who he somehow miraculously knew to be the Son of God. In other words, James, who we're about to read, knows all about seasons of difficulty and suffering. So let's see what he has to say. James chapter 1, verse 2. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. All right, let's break that down a little bit because we first read that and we're like, what is he talking about, right? Like verse two says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. Do any of you guys feel joy right now? Like at first glance, this appears to be either insincere or at the worst, morbid. But if we look closely, what we see is it's actually neither. That word pure actually means genuine, authentic. It's, it's sincere. In other words, James wants us to be clear that he's not talking about a fake joy. He's not talking about becoming a phony Christian that just smiles all the time and says, oh yeah, everything's great. God is good when everything around them is just falling apart. No, James says, the joy that I'm referring to is genuine joy. It's not fake. It's not phony. And on the other hand, it's not morbid joy either. James isn't asking us to act like the feelings of pain and suffering and frustration are good feelings to have. No, they're awful. They hurt. Many of us are hurting in in really deep ways right now. This season, it's not easy. It's okay to feel frustrated, which is why if we look closely at the passage, what we see is James doesn't say, consider our trials joy. No, it's not the trials that we consider joy. He says this, consider it joy. In other words, in the midst of suffering, there's something else happening. There's something else that's being produced inside of us, something else that we can consider, that we can look at, that we can focus on. And this something has tremendous value and importance. In fact, the Apostle Peter says that this something is worth more than precious gold. So the question is, what is it? What is this valuable treasure that's being produced that's worth more than gold? 
Well, it begins in verse 3. James says, the testing of our faith produces perseverance. That word perseverance, it's a really popular New Testament word. It comes from the Greek uh, word upomone, upomone. You can practice saying that out loud, upomone. It's kind of fun. Now you know Greek. There you go. But it means to endure resistance. The picture is of a person successfully carrying a heavy weight for a long time without giving up or giving in. It's like the bodybuilder or the weightlifter holding that heavy bar. Even though it burns and aches and stings, even though everything inside of them says, no, just let go, just drop it, they keep holding, they keep pressing because they know that's how muscle's built. That's how strength is developed. The longer we hold the weight, the stronger we become. This is what James is saying here. We have this spiritual muscle called faith, and trials are the weights that grow it and shape it. I remember learning this as a teenager when I went through my first real breakup. My longtime high school girlfriend dumped me, and in the moment, I was devastated. 17-year-old Clint never felt so much pain, and I remember feeling like every teenager does in that moment. I thought for sure the world was ending. I would never recover. This heartache would last forever. But obviously it didn't. I eventually got over it. And now when I look back on that trial, I actually thank God for it. Because in it, I grew stronger. And that strength, it helped me into adulthood. It helped me face my next trial and my next trial and my next trial. Trials that got a lot harder than a high school breakup. And see, that's the point here. Each trial we go through strengthens us for the next one. Each trial prepares us for what's ahead. Just like weight training. We have to start small and then we build up, right, our strength. Each rep, each set, each workout where we choose to keep going and not give up and not let go grows our strength. And that's the first thing James is trying to get us to consider as joy. The more we persevere during these hard times, the stronger our faith becomes. So that when the next trial comes, it actually feels lighter. But not because the trial is easier but because we've gotten stronger. But a stronger faith is really just the beginning. There's other things that are produced in us as well, which James goes on to point out in verse 4 when he says, Let perseverance finish its work so that we, be, that we may be mature and complete. He says, not lacking anything. And that's the second thing that's produced in us under trial. We have this incredibly unique opportunity to become more mature and more, more complete, which is pretty important, right? I mean, we've all seen that immature kid running around in the grocery store who doesn't get their way. What do they do? They, they panic, they scream, they cry, they pout, they make a huge scene. Well, the same thing can happen to us in our faith if we do not mature. We can get stuck just like a spoiled kid. And it comes out every time we don't get our way. We gossip, we slander, we rage, we doubt, we wallow in self-pity. This is why we as Christians seek growth and maturity. This is why we study God's Word. This is why we listen to sermons. This is why we practice spiritual disciplines, because we want to grow in our faith. But here's the deal, guys. We can do all the Bible studies in the world. If we never persevere under pressure, under trial, James says we will never mature. Perseverance is what produces maturity. This is why if you talk to a seasoned and sincere follower of Jesus right now, 
someone that's really persevered through some dark valleys, they're not panicked. They're not freaking out about the coronavirus or, or whether or not our freedoms are being threatened or if the political divide will ruin our country. No, they have this inner strength, this perspective, this calmness, this peace, this joy. Because they know the struggle won't last forever. They know this too is going to pass. The news headlines will change. The problems will change. The politics will change. The trials will change. But God won't. God will always be on the throne. And see, that's maturity. But it's only developed through trial. But see, that's not all that's gained during difficult seasons. Flip over to Romans chapter 5. Uh, for those that, that may not know, a guy named Paul is the author of this letter called Romans. And let me tell you, if anyone would know firsthand about suffering, it was the Apostle Paul. He actually lists many of his struggles in another letter that he wrote called uh, 2 Corinthians in chapter 11. Don't go there. I'll just summarize it for us so we get the idea. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, when he talks about uh, what he went through, uh, he says, five times I received the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. He goes on to say, I've been constantly on the move, in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea. I've gone without sleep, without food, without water. I've been cold and naked, even imprisoned. And that's just scratching the surface. That's just a snapshot of all the suffering and pain that Paul went through on his journey with Jesus. But here's the point. Paul's very familiar with suffering. But again, watch what he says in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 3. See if it sounds familiar. Paul says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. That's our word. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Sounds familiar, right? Verse 3, Paul says, we glory in our suffering. But why? Because suffering is awesome? No, it's awful. We just talked about that. But Paul says we glory in it because we know what it's producing. There's a reward, there's purpose, there's meaning, there's significance, there's fruit that comes from our pain. Let me say that again because I want those of you that are really struggling right now to hear this. There's purpose, there's meaning, there's fruit that comes through trial. What you're going through is not meaningless. I know it's hard, I know it's painful, but it's not meaningless. God is producing something significant in you and it's worth more than pure gold. Paul says, stand up, persevere. There's that same word that James uses, upamone, endure resistance. Keep pressing. Don't give, it, don't give up. Don't give in. Don't run from God. Don't give in to the, the addictions or, or, the, or the destructive feelings and attitudes like bitterness and jealousy and, and resentment and self-pity. Those don't work. Those don't produce anything in us. When we, start, when we start to give in to those poisonous thoughts and temptations, that's when we get tossed around, like James says, like waves in the sea. But gold, and that's when the gold that, that God is trying to produce in us and purify in us is robbed. 
Paul says persevere. James says persevere. Stay standing. Stay praying. Stay strong. Stay going to church. Stay in community, even if it's online. That's all we got right now, so let's stay in it. Don't check out. Endure. And for some of you, that just means get up in the morning. Reach out to a friend today. Send a text message, a phone call. Reach out to a counselor. And we have an entire care department here at Cornerstone. We'd love to talk to you. We'd, we'd love to help you stand during this storm. Don't give up. You can do this. Because verse 4, perseverance produces character. This is the third treasure that comes from trial. Character. Another way to say uh, character is that we become more and more like Christ. That's right. We become more like Jesus. And this is what our entire series was all about last month, right? We went through this series called Listen, Love, Learn, or Listen, Learn, Love. Many of us asked ourselves extremely challenging questions about our own hearts and prejudices that we've held on to for years. And guys, it was difficult. It was hard. It was challenging. It was uncomfortable. And there were probably a lot of times where we just wanted to give up. God, I can't live in this tension anymore. I can't deal with these changes. I want to go back to what I know. I want to go back to what I'm comfortable with. This is too hard. And God in His grace, He'll allow us to do that. He'll always allow us to quit. He'll always allow us to hide out where it's comfortable and safe. But again, here's the problem with that. When we do it, we miss out on the changes that God is trying to produce and make in us. And see, that's what this is all about, guys. It's not about the other person. It's not about the, the person on Twitter or, or, or Facebook. It's not about the, the person in the family reunion. It's not about the person in your small group that annoys you to death, that needs the character change. No, it's us. God is saying, I want to change you. Maybe a good exercise today would be to sit down with a journal and just ask yourself this question. How is God changing me? to become more like Jesus during this season. If you want a list of uh, Christ-like character traits, just flip open to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Let me repeat that, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Or you could just flip open the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and you could read all about what Jesus was like. What you'll notice is Jesus was actually a lot different than everyone else around him. Jesus didn't value what everyone else valued. He wasn't impressed with who had the best resume in the room or the most degrees, who sounded the smartest or sinned the least in public. Jesus didn't seem to value exterior performances at all. No, what Jesus values is the inward development of a person, character, traits like humility, compassion, empathy, patience, kindness, forgiveness, courage, boldness, faith love. These are what defined Christ. And this is the the character that Paul says is fashioned in us. Paul takes it one step further. And he says, best of all, character produces hope. I love this part. Character produces hope. That's our word for the series, right? Hope. That's what we all need right now is some hope. You want some genuine hope in your life? some hope that that doesn't run dry. Listen, Paul says it comes through trial. It's produced through this process. 
of suffering and pain and hardship. But see, this is the tension. This is the issue that we face as humans because we want the hope apart from the pain. We want the hope without the suffering. But Paul says, that's a hope that you can have, but it's only going to put you to shame. That's a hope that will only lead to disappointment. And here's why. Because the greater the trial, the more we actually start depending on God and not ourselves. See, when things are going good, when there's no pain, when there's no pandemic, when there's money in the bank, when we can go outside and gather together, we get this sense like, man, we got this. We're good. We're in control. And we start placing our hope in us, in ourselves. But Paul says that's false hope that will put us to shame. What we need is genuine, pure hope that's produced through trial. Paul gives an illustration of this in the previous chapter. Uh, He talks about an Old Testament character named Abraham in chapter 4, verse 18. And he says this. I love this. He says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. So good. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. I love verse 18, the beginning. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. In other words, Abraham's hope actually developed during the time in his life when everything around him looked hopeless. You remember Abraham's story? God promises Abraham he's going to be the father of many nations, but he doesn't have any kids. And so this promise, it sounds great in the moment. He's like looking forward to this, being a father. But then the the time starts ticking by. The days and the months, they add up to years and the years start ticking by. And it actually turns out to be 25 years later. Like think about that. 25 years later between the the time that God gave Abraham this promise to the time that he fulfills this promise. And and, and there Abraham is on his 100th birthday. And all of a sudden, he's, he's probably doubting God's promise. God, your promise doesn't seem so promising now that I'm 100. How are you going to make me a father now? How are you going to come through now? I'm almost dead. Like, don't you see? This is physically impossible. This is hopeless. Oh, I think someone needs to hear this right now. Just lean in if you're at home. Because you feel hopeless during this season. Because God gave you a promise, but it doesn't look very promising anymore. He gave you a dream, but it's kind of starting to look like a nightmare. Like the, the, the baby, it was supposed to be here by now. The cancer treatment was supposed to work by now. The marriage was supposed to be restored by now. The schools, they're supposed to be open by now. What's going on? You're late in your life. You just turned 70 and your life still feels empty. You're, you're well into your dream career, but you just got a letter of furlough. You're a parent and you just found out your kid has an addiction. And right now, today, you're tempted to scream out, God, where are you? Don't you see my situation? Don't you see this doesn't look very promising? In fact, it looks hopeless. But listen to me. Don't miss this. This is exactly where we need to be in order to receive real hope. Because verse 18, against all hope, Abraham found hope. See, God can't fill a cup that's already full with self-sufficiency. No, he fills the cups that are dry, the cups that are empty, the cups that are desperate, 
the cups that cry out to him, I need you. That's where we find hope. When we're empty, when we're done, when we're tired, when we're exhausted, when we're at the end of our rope, because finally we stop looking to ourselves and we start looking to God. And that's the best news of all, because God's hope does not disappoint. Stay standing, friends. The promise is on its way. This is why James says, consider it pure joy. This is why Paul says, rejoice in suffering. Yeah, it's hard, but it's producing something. See, they knew there's this secret formula in the middle of storms. They knew these treasures that were being uh, uncovered in us through trial. And James and Paul and many Christians who have gone before us, those were the things that they craved more than life itself. That's why they stood up to intense persecution. That's why they stayed faithful during suffering and loss, because they knew it was all jam-packed with meaning and purpose. They knew it was producing in them a faith in God and a hope in God that was genuine and real and would never disappoint and would never rip away because it was centered on God and not us. And see, that's what this all comes down to. These treasures, they don't just lead to a more prosperous life. No, they lead us back to God. And that's the real treasure. That's where the real joy is found. Through suffering, we get closer to God. This is why Paul writes in Philippians 3, verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. See, Paul got to the point where he was so addicted to intimacy and closeness with Jesus that he started to crave it more than anything else in life, even his own comforts and safety. And this is what made Paul and, and those early Christians so frustrating to their enemies that were doing everything they could to slow down the movement of Jesus' church. Because they were getting to a point where they, even death wasn't stopping them. Even death wasn't scaring them. In fact, there's this saying in the early church that says, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. In other words, the more they were killed, the more they were persecuted, the more they were pressured, the more the church grew. Because people saw them from the outside and they, they looked at them and they thought, wow, that person has something that I've never seen before. They have a peace, they have a strength, they have a courage, they have a joy, even in the face of death. It's almost like they're looking forward to something beyond death. Church, what if we do that during this season? What if during this season, while the world around us panics, what if instead we stood up and had joy? What if we had that kind of peace, that kind of strength, that kind of unshakable faith and hope? I wonder if people around us would want it too. I wonder if God could use this season to grow His church, but not through buildings, through you and through me, through us, through His church. I'll close with one final verse. Because I think there's uh, some people still at home and wherever you're watching this, and you're still debating on whether or not you can really accept all of this, whether or not you're, you're strong enough to endure these trials that you're facing. You're hearing my words, but you're thinking, Clint, 
you don't know what I'm going through. Like, you don't know how hard this is. You don't know what I've lost. You don't know the, the, the pressure. You don't know the, the pain. I, I can't go on. I can't persevere. And listen to me. You're totally right. I don't know your pain. I don't know what you're going through. But I do know someone that does. And that's what I want to leave you with. Hebrews chapter 12 says this. And let us run with perseverance. There's that word. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And here it is, guys. Listen to this. For the joy set before him, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Oh, just let, me, let me say that one more time. For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. You know who that joy was? It was you. He endured the cross and all its pain and all its consequences with joy. Not because it was easy, but because he knew what it would produce. You. Jesus wanted you. So he came down and he died on a cross and he did it with joy. Therefore, therefore, verse 3, church, therefore, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Father, be with us now. Help us to keep standing in the middle of this trial season, as exhausting as it is. Help us to endure. Help us to persevere, upomone, so that we may draw closer to you and be filled with pure and authentic and real joy and real genuine hope, which would lead us to this unshakable faith so that the world around us would see how beautiful and amazing you really are. And to everyone who's listening to my words, I, I just pray and I close with this special blessing from Romans 15. May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we may abound in hope. Amen. You are matchless in grace and mercy. There is nowhere we can hide from your love. You are steadfast, never failing. You are faithful. All creation is in awe of you. You're the healer of the sick and the broken. You are comfort for every heart in Yes, you are our King, our Savior forever. For eternity, we will sing of all you've done. For eternity, we will sing of all you've done. We sing, God with us, God for us. Nothing.
Thanks so much for being here. I know I heard something that I needed to hear and I'm feeling ready for this week. How about you? 
Well, we're gonna stick around a little bit longer in our chat room, so feel free to swing by, say hi, and share what a, a key takeaway was for you. But in the meantime, I wanna give you a next step. I want you to think of one or two words, could be a few more, that describe how God is shaping you to become more like Christ during this season. So for example, for for me, those two words are internalize grace. I have this inner critic. I have this voice inside of me that's really harsh and mean and cruel. And when I'm in a trial, if I'm not careful, I can let that inner critic voice have more say or more influence in my life than the voice of my heavenly Father who's for me, who loves me unconditionally and knows I'm in process, knows that I don't have it all figured out and still loves me. And so when I'm in a trial, when I'm in a difficult situation, I have to internalize His grace. I have to rest in His grace. I have to be reminded of His grace. And what's so cool, what's so awesome, what's so incredible about God is that when we rest in His grace, when we get our strength from His grace, we're then able to freely give it away to other people. I also want to encourage you that if you are in a trial, if you're feeling stuck or if you're feeling exhausted or tired, I want to encourage you to reach out to one of our lay counselors or one of our pastors by clicking on the care link We have a whole team of people that would love to come alongside you and help you and give you grace during your trial. Also want to encourage you to continue to support Cornerstone. We've made it really simple and easy for you. Just go to cornerstoneweb.org slash give. Thank you. We'll see you soon.